0: Brother Cousins, episode 52. Thanks for joining us in our October 2022 series, The God of the Living, where we have spent a couple of weeks already unfolding some spooky scriptures, some things that have to do with the supernatural, the world beyond. And we've talked about uh, the appearances of spirits from Eliphaz. We talked about the witch of Endor, conjuring up the spirit of Samuel. And today we're going to talk about the fact that there are many people in the scripture who have actually gone beyond and come back because they were resurrected by prophets or apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at some of those instances in the scripture, uh, talk about some of the questions that come to mind and see if maybe there's some application and things that we can learn from these accounts that we have in the scripture, people coming back. So I hope that you'll find these things interesting, and we will go ahead and get rolling. So today we have Jared and Jeffrey. We both um, are excited about this topic and have a couple of instances we want to look at. The first one we're going to take from the uh, book of 2 Kings. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 17 through 37. Basically, to summarize, we've got a Samaritan woman who was allowed to conceive a child, uh, and that was granted as a request from the prophet Elisha. Um, An instance occurred where the child apparently suffered a heat stroke or something like that while they were outside with their dad They go back to the house where the child dies in the mother's arms, and she comes and, and begs Elisha for help through a message to his servant Gehazi, and so this is a child that is actually raised up from the dead. Um, We can read a couple of the bits in there, gents, if there's a particular place where we would be helpful to read that account, we can go ahead and do that, but we have this amazing situation of a child uh, coming back from the dead here. Um, Jeffrey, kind of pointing to you first, What are some things about this account that stood out to you or were kind of out of the norm?
1: Well, whenever you get to, oh, right around verse 32, um, Elisha comes into the house and he sees the child laying there and he's had a relationship with with these people mm-hmm. um the mother had had talked to elisha about a son previously to that which is why um you know she comes to him in in verse 28 and said did i ask my lord for a son Do not say do not deceive me and mm-hmm. uh, she kind of starts casting some blame on there uh but one of the great things about elisha is that he kind of looks past that um, he comes into the house he saw the children laying on the child, laying on his bed. And what's unique about this particular situation is the events that happen. He doesn't just say arise. Yeah. He doesn't just say, you know, come out like what Jesus had has done. And we'll talk about that later, but rather he goes up to the child and this is a a really weird situation. So bear with me. (laughs) okay he puts his mouth on his mouth his eyes on his eyes his hands on his hands he stretched himself upon the child but then all of a sudden the flesh of the child came warm Mm -hmm. so this child has been dead for a bit the skin is is cold but now the skin is warming up samuel where elisha gets up and starts walking back and forth in the house he Stretched himself upon him again. And then the child sneezes seven times and he opens his eyes and he's been raised from the dead. Um, It's, it's an interesting situation. Yeah. But what I
0: guess what's even kind of more odd is this is not the first attempt to help the kid. Like the first attempt, whenever the woman sends a messenger to the servant of Elisha, Elisha basically gives Gehazi his staff. And he says, basically, go and help the woman. um, And don't uh, don't greet anyone. Take your staff. Take my staff in your hand. This is verse 29. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, don't greet him. If anyone greets you, don't answer him. And then when you get there, lay my staff on the face of the child. but that did not work. And I just think that's kind of a strange thing to happen. I've never seen anything else like that in the scriptures where a prophet or someone tried to do something and it just didn't work the first time, you know?
1: Well, I mean, you see something similar to that when the, when people tried to cast out some demons. Yeah, it's Um, true. But in the context of resurrections, right. You don't, I mean, it's, it seems like a pretty standard procedure arise. <laughs> and they arise. Um and, and you see other situations like that in the scriptures where even from afar off, you say, you know, your child will be healed. Uh, not necessarily resurrected, but your child will be healed and the child's healed. Um, it is interesting, and I'm not sure if I have a good reason why the staff didn't work. Um Maybe that's something similar to do with like when the disciples and others tried to cast out demons and were, were unsuccessful.
0: Yeah. The only other thing that's similar in frame of reference is in the gospel of Mark, where Jesus goes to heal a blind man. This is Mark 8, 22, this man from Bethsaida and Jesus takes a man, leads him out of the town, uh, he spit on his eyes and put his hands on them. And he's like, can you see anything? And he says, I see men like trees walking. So it's almost like I can see, but it's blurry. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And then he was restored and saw everyone clearly. To me, that's another one of those, even where Jesus, he did a thing first, didn't quite get it. And then he did another thing and then it got the result that everyone was looking for. I guess I don't really have any good reason or idea about why it would be that way, but I know that it's in there for a reason. And I know that Jesus was capable of doing it the quote unquote, the complete or right way. The first time, there's a reason he did it that way.
2: Well, and this example reminds me of a little bit of Nathan with King David Uh when he first told him he wanted to build the temple. Nathan initially says yeah and then God says hey wait a minute it's not what I want and I think there's some of this stuff in here now the reason for him doing what he ended up doing was basically almost you know the, the spiritual sense or the spiritualists would say imparting some of his own life force to that child right. he laid down on top of him yeah um, but I think we're we're shown some of the human side of some of these prophets they weren't infallible they weren't perfect right. and they had their desires as well even if not ungodly um, and sometimes god allowed them the opportunity to show him how much they truly believed in him number one and how much they really wanted something to get him to move mm. um, which there's a a teaching in and of itself, aside from everything else we have to look at. So
1: I'll avoid that rabbit trail for the time being. So Jared, are you suggesting that Elisha's relationship with the Shunammite woman and that child made him act maybe before really considering if this is what should be done?
2: I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I can see the humanity in it. I can see yeah. the humanity from the mother in her grief, not seeing the gift that was put before her in the time she had it, but you know, it goes right to, I didn't have it long enough. And and really that's her statement. I didn't have my child as long as I wanted. And it's difficult as a parent. I, you know, the worst dream I've ever had, probably the most real dream I've ever had. I had a a nightmare that Ty and Taryn got hit by a car right in front of me in the parking lot. Um, and, it's a really emotional dream that still gets me to this day. Uh, I woke up bawling, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I actually had to get out of bed and go to their rooms to make sure they were still there because it was just so real. So I can put myself in that position, having, even having not lost a child, which I'm blessed beyond measure Mm -hmm. about, um, I can feel what she felt. And so there's, there's realness there. And, and, Elisha's not a bad dude. In fact, he looks like a, a very caring person throughout his story. Um, we're shown how much he cares about people. In fact, what he offered to that caused her to be promised a son was in response to the care she had taken of him. Right. And so, you know, I I get, like I said, the sense of humanity from this story that he was just moved and wanted to start the process, and even though he sent his servant on ahead, he was following up regardless. That's a good yeah. point.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get the, the sense that Elisha was a nicer guy than Elijah. Like, if you would ask me which would you rather have coffee with, it's going to be Elisha every time because Elijah was dark and sarcastic and moody and kind of depressed. <laughs> Elisha seems like a nicer guy to
1: me. You know, and this is going to be, I think, a reoccurring theme throughout this episode. But I wish we had more information. Oh, no. I wish we knew how long the kid lived after this. I wish we knew how it changed the life of maybe this child and this mother. You know, obviously, they had had interactions with Elisha before, um, it had been impactful. But I wish we knew the rest of the story if you will and the impact
0: it's it's definitely interesting to think about how a child's perspective of coming back would be different than an adult's perspective of coming back someone that's not jaded with all the cares and and hardness of living a long life and then expiring and coming back into a difficult world a child i think would have a very it would be a unique gift to a child to have gone and seen and come back. I would like to think that that child grew up to be a very devout servant of Yahweh, you know?
1: So speaking of Elisha, he's also a part of the next narrative that we wanted to look at in um, just a a few chapters later in second Kings chapter 13. And this is of all the resurrection accounts that we are, are talking about today. This is probably the weirdest and creepiest. Absolutely. So where where this narrative in Second Kings chapter four is different because he had to try a couple of times. This next one is just really weird. It says in verse twenty that Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like something out of Indiana Jones, you know, or worse. I don't know. It's, it's bizarre.
1: So what happened here?
0: Uh, Well, it's, it's one thing in the scripture where we see a servant of God asking God to perform a miracle for an act of mercy or to confirm the message of God or to help create faith in the God of the scriptures. But those are all acts of severe intention. We have here something happening seemingly by accident And it's almost as if some remnant of God's investiture of the spirit into Elisha was left over even after his death. And I'm reminded of when Elijah was taken away in the whirlwind. Before that, what Elisha asked of him is, I want a double portion of your spirit, Elijah. But he got it. And it makes me wonder if that double portion of power had something to do with the fact that even the, the dead bones of Elisha the prophet had the ability to raise somebody up by accident. That's my best guess. But another question that I'm thinking of is the Bible just says that the friend revived and stood on his feet. They lowered him down into the tomb. The question then is when he popped up, Did his friends, like, get him out? (laughs) Did they, like, put the rock back on and say, no, you need to stay in there and then run away? I don't know what happened here.
2: (laughs) And what happened with the Raiders? I mean, they're in a hurry Mm -hmm. because there's Raiders. And, I mean, there's there's just so much that's not given. Yeah. And it, it leaves room for those that, are creative of mind to make up lots of possible scenarios. Sure. Um, Maybe I should consult hope... the new
0: living translation. It has lots of things that aren't <laughs> in the original.
2: Oh no. Um, <laughs> you would hope the guy would have the wherewithal to not just start shouting out of the hole because he may have ended up with the writers. <laughs> because they don't know he was dead what's it matter to them there's this guy stuck in this hole he's hours now yeah it's it's just so many possibilities if there were a movie
0: made about it i would i would pay to watch it yep and especially if it were like a crime comedy i would totally be down with it
2: but Why? this is it's just so amazing to, to even have this in here. And, and I grant that it is, you know, Elijah's taken up. So mm-hmm. the protege of Elijah, Elisha is deceased. He's buried. And, you know, we move straight from then Elisha died to now they're putting someone in his tomb. And while they were doubling up on Elisha, the prophet and his, Interesting, but maybe um,
0: we, it was an act of necessity. Like they're just like, hey, if there's if there's Moabites on the way, any hole will do. I don't know.
1: You know, I don't know how how accurate this is, but as I was looking over this narrative, uh one commentator did make the comment that that potentially there is a prophetic um a prophetic teaching here, Mm. if you will. So um, that as they are about to be carried away and plundered and moved, that in order for them to have any sort of life that they're going to have to hang on to the teachings of the prophets to really be able to make it through. Um, Whenever I dug more into that, there wasn't a whole lot of of rationale on why hmm. because but I mean, what other reason is that there other than to show that elisha's bones maybe still had some of the same power that he had, which is just seemingly uncharacteristic,
0: yeah, and maybe another thing is that there there's this theme in the Old Testament of. You know, people's bones being important. I mean, the Jewish uh, people, they had these bones called an ossuary, where they would lay someone in a tomb and allow them to decompose. And later they would take the bones and put them in a smaller box and move it somewhere else. And um, maybe there was a sense in which Elisha needed to be buried alone for some reason or that um, God didn't want another person buried in there with him and so the solution is if you put someone in here they're going to walk out i don't know i'm postulating here
1: and again i'm going to ask the question how long did this guy live <laughs> yeah and how did it change him i mean did he did it change him at all did it change the people he was with? Because, you know, that's often what happens And some of the narratives that we're going to be talking about, the people who witnessed those resurrections, it changed them very deeply. Did it change these plunderers? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I just, I want more information. There's just, we just don't have a whole lot to go
1: on, but, I but think it is, all...
0: it just is interesting.
1: Oh, well, that's what I was gonna say. I think we can all agree that it's just interesting and weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I keep alluding to, you know, a, a lot of these future um narratives. Um, and as we kind of shift gears into the New Testament, uh, we start to see some of those characteristics that I mentioned where people are raised for a very particular point. Right. Um, and that it changed people deeply whenever. They witnessed these resurrections. And uh, the first one in the New Testament that we really want to come to is when the son of the widow of Nain Mm -hmm. is raised from the dead. And that's in Luke chapter 7. Do we want to read that or do we want to just kind of cherry pick that?
0: Let's read it. It's short-ish. I'll read it. Uh, Verse 11. Luke seven eleven. Now it happened to the day after he went into a city called Nain, and many disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And there was a large crowd from this, and the large crowd from the city was with her. So here's a here's a uh, point of mercy, right? A widow, her her only son is now dead. She's got nobody. She would be destitute and isolated without that. So. Instant compassion points here for the Lord. And that's what it says in verse 13. The Lord saw her. He had compassion on her and he said, do not weep. And he came and he touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. And so, here, verse 16, Jeffrey, as you were saying, the impact on others, then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. So, there may be a couple of rationale pieces here, Jeffrey and Jared. You know, we've got the immediacy of doing an act of compassion for a woman who had been very vulnerable without that. And then the impact afterward that everybody feared God, they glorified God, they recognized that Jesus was a prophet. And then they said, God has visited his people I think it's important to note there that that phrase "visited" doesn't mean "stopped by" necessarily, but that's also a phrase in the scripture that's used in Old and New Testament to signify that God has moved and done something that He said He would do. Um, but when they said God has visited His people, they didn't know how right they really were. Like, like, yeah, literally, He really did visit you. <laughs> it's pretty amazing,
1: you know. And as we think about this narrative from my understanding i think this is the first resurrected person in the new testament chronologically mm-hmm. um at this point nobody had been raised from the dead that we know of for several hundred years and now all of a sudden he is raised from the dead. so i think that there's an additional component here And I think that we see this as we continue on in this text, specifically referring to John the Baptist and some of his questions about whether or not Jesus truly is the Christ who had been prophesied in the old Testament says that the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another now? context here john has been preaching jesus he baptized jesus he heard the voice of the lord say this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased when the spirit descended upon jesus he has seen a lot he's experienced a lot with jesus and about jesus but now he's sitting in prison yeah and I, i want to frame this in a way that we understand that whenever you're left to your own thoughts for whoever knows how long that John the Baptist had been in prison and he's in prison for doing the work of God. It's really, you get some really dark thoughts. Sure. Um, And I think that John started probably wondering, you know, why am I in prison for preaching the word Mm -hmm. for instructing people in God's way? And then maybe he's like, well, you know, supposedly Jesus is the Christ. And when the Christ came, people were supposed to be healed. People were supposed to be released from prison because there was a lot of prophecies that pertain specifically to those aspects. So I could see him wondering, well, if Jesus is here and I'm sitting in prison, right. then maybe Jesus isn't actually the Christ. And so he sends his disciples to double check this. Right. And this is what Jesus, whenever John's disciples come and ask Jesus says that jesus answered that go and tell john what you have seen and heard the blind receive their sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed the deaf hear and the dead are raised up the poor have the good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me so john so jesus says look around you yeah you know these reports look at the work that's going on here go back And know your Old Testament, because what Jesus quoted here was Old Testament prophecy about what the Christ was going to do whenever he came. Mm -hmm. He says, you know the answer to this. Look around you and see that the work of God is coming. And one of those works of God that we see is specifically where Jesus raises this dead child. And like I said, I, I believe it's the first one since Jesus had started his ministry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know something that you just said, Jeffrey? in in these both of these instances the relationship of the person who was dead is they were somebody's child you know i know that everybody is somebody's child but that's specific to the context of the second king story and to the luke 7 story that this person was introduced in relation to someone else as being their their child and i think that's probably not by accident but I love it because it does demonstrate that one of the hallmarks of the the ministry of Jesus is that he is the Lord of life because he's the God of the living and that he can restore the work and he can reverse the work of Satan, death, destruction, and brokenness. And that's really what Christ brings to all of us, which we can probably get more to that later. But So we have this work in that it empowers john to keep the faith and to continue on even though he would eventually be beheaded in prison we can hope that he took this message from the lord as a way to finish strong and continue to be faithful to his cause even though it was interrupted by prison Uh, the next one we see or the next one we want to cover anyway was jesus good friend lazarus and that's recorded in john's gospel chapter 11 and that story is kind of a long when it goes and it finishes up in John chapter 12 verses 9 through 11 so there's a lot there but the summation of that is that Lazarus had or was a friend of Jesus and his sisters were Mary and Martha who were also good friends of Jesus and we have the situation where he gets word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is sick. And the inference is that they want Jesus to come and heal him. But Jesus does not do that. In fact, Jesus, um, in verse six, it says that when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then he says, let us go to Judea again. And they said, there's trouble in Judea. Are you sure you want to go? It basically says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, well, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about him taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And I love this little quip from Thomas, who's called the twin, Didymus. He says, he said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And I think he's alluding to the fact that Judea was a kind of a hot spot and there was it was dangerous for them to go there. And he's like, well, Jesus goes back there. He's he's dead meat. So let's go with him. (laughs) I just love the the fatalistic attitude. You know, it would have made a good movie quote. (laughs) But they go. And Jesus meets, um, he goes back to Bethany, and Martha goes to meet him in the road. And Martha's first words were, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to her face. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll give you. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus said, and this is, I love this I am statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Interesting that she would choose to phrase it that way because Jesus was already in the world standing before her. But she says, you're the Christ who will come into the world. And I think that hints that she knew that he would come again in a different way, perhaps, or in a different nature. Any other observations about that before we move on to the next bit?
1: Yeah, so so far, I mean, just contrasting it to what happened with Elisha Uh and the son of the Shunammite. So Elisha previously had a relationship with that family. Uh, he knew them he was close to them he had spent time with them um and we mentioned that maybe his relationship drove him to do some of the things that he did in trying to raise him with the staff and then still following mm-hmm. up and then raising him in person this is a completely different setup yeah. Jesus obviously had a relationship with this family. You know, he had been in the home of Mary and Martha before. Right. He had had a close relationship with all of them, including Lazarus. And rather than coming immediately whenever he had been told that he was sick, he decided to wait. And he waited until Lazarus had been dead and in the tomb for several days.
0: Yeah. But yeah. Again, a deliberate thing.
1: It was, it was a very deliberate thing. And the question is why? Mm -hmm. And he says exactly why it's so that he can show that he is the God of the living. Yeah. That he has the power over death. Even at this point. Don't you know that was hard for Jesus to do Jeffrey? Oh, definitely. I mean, you think, you think about the decisions that you make and the potential fallout that you may have with friends and family. Yep. Have you ever experienced anything that drastic where your actions or inaction allowed somebody to die and the potential blame and hard feelings that could be going on there even though Jesus obviously planned to to resurrect him this could have been a completely different situation right And what I mean by that is their reaction, not the fact that he raised them from the dead, but their reaction. And I can't believe that you put us through this.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like. uh, In Batman, the Dark Knight, where Gordon pretends to be dead so they can catch the Joker a little. Maybe that's a really bad reference, but it's kind of what it reminds me of.
1: I'm just going to give a preface here. If we go do too far down the nerd rabbit hole, I'm going to quit the podcast again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you haven't even begun to quit.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah, but you know, there is even there that sense that they're, they're angry and they don't understand why Jesus did this because they are confident that he had the, uh, he had the ability to prevent it. Yeah. He chose not to. But mixed with that, Lord, I don't understand, is also the, but if, I know. And I think that that's an important bit, is that, and that's a lot about what faith is. Faith is not having all the answers. Faith is knowing that even though I don't have all the answers, I know that God does. And choosing to be okay with whatever the answer is, even if it's not what I would prefer. And that's faith right there. And that's the same faith that we have to have when we come into these these issues. So after this situation occurs, um, we've got Jesus going to the house. And then Mary is there. She called Mary. She says, hey, Jesus is coming, essentially. And she rose quickly and basically said the same thing. Um. That if, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her response to that, and everyone else crying, in verse 33 says, Jesus groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And here's the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty two words, lots of meaning. Jesus wept. And it's great how the scripture demonstrates the humanity of Jesus, that even though he made this tough calculation to do this thing, that he didn't do it easily. He didn't take it lightly. The Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. And we don't say that, oh, death is valuable, it's precious. But what it means is that the death of any of God's saints in the Old and New Testament doesn't go without his notice and care. That's what it means, and I think we see this demonstrated in Jesus' response to his friend Lazarus being dead, to the impact it had on his family and on their friends as they mourned him, and that you said, see how he loved him, and this is kind of an aside that I've heard that grief is how we love people even when they're gone. And I think sometimes people are like, well, you know, if you really mature enough and had enough faith as a Christian, you wouldn't be grieving so much that your loved one is dead. But if Jesus grieves a loved one who's passed away, who he knows in a few minutes is going to be alive again, then it's okay for us to show someone how much we love them by grieving their loss. And I think there's an important lesson here about that. Even though, we know and have faith that God is the God of the living
2: in a temporal sense. There's a finality to death Mm -hmm. that, and, and especially in our day and age where so many things can be fixed. So many things can be corrected. So many things can be cured. We especially hold on to hope. And that's what we see with Lazarus's sisters. They had hope that if Jesus could get there, that's why he received word in the first place. Right. Um, and with their current understanding that hope was unfulfilled initially. Right. Um, Jesus, you know, pushed him to where they said, we know you are the resurrection, but he was fixing to demonstrate life. And, you know, with, with your point, I think it's important for us to understand Death is an enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The Bible very cr- clearly calls that out. It will be the last enemy that God defeats. Um, but we're not told not to weep. Um, right. We Because we're not commanded to be robots and robotic in our understanding and our existence. Being Christian doesn't mean life doesn't affect you in that you turn all emotions off and, Now we're to guide those things and and direct how we exhibit emotions and react to emotions and so forth to do so in a godly way. And in fact, doing that in the proper way glorifies God. It it shows that we have our true faith in him, which is, you know, again, what Jesus has demonstrated here with what's gone on. He knew as soon as he was told the news what was going to happen and what he needed to do and for what purpose and as he is our ultimate example he shows us the example of what it is to do the hard thing Mm -hmm. um i mean obviously before his death because he he went and did the hardest thing there something that's against the nature of god and and cost god everything so to speak um but even here in this flesh these are his friends these are close people um and it's demonstrated in his weeping and his groaning and his trouble, his troubled spirit. So, you know, while we talk about God of the living, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about our hope of life. None of that takes away from the fact that Jesus on this earth was compassionate. Elisha was compassionate. Mm -hmm. Um, The other examples we'll look at, were compassionate and moved paul or rather jesus didn't tell his sisters hey it's it's better for lazarus now you know we'll just move on it's okay
0: he's in a better place
2: um (laughs) and while that's the hope we have currently because jesus isn't here to defeat death openly and on a individual case-by-case basis we cling to that hope And, and it looks like his sisters were resigning themselves to that hope but that didn't make them not sad
1: sure And I'm just going to add that I appreciate this point that both of you guys are making right here. The fact that Jesus knew what he was about to do, but still grieved with those who were grieving is just a very human part and a very, it's just very impactful to me because I think it does do exactly what you're saying, Jared flies in the face of what we hear whenever someone loses a loved one. Well, you don't need to grieve like unbelievers grieve. You know, you need to let this hope carry you forward. And and I agree with that, but they're still allowed to grieve. And need to grieve because if you don't, it's going to mess your head up. That's exactly right. And that's, I'm agreeing to you from experience. Yeah. From someone who tried to just shoulder it and move on and it doesn't work that way.
0: Yep, You're exactly right. You know, I I know that I haven't I haven't lost a parent like you guys have, but um, um, I've lost all my grandparents now. And uh, I didn't properly grieve my my mother's father when he passed away. I felt like when it happened, I had the responsibility to be on, you know, and to kind of perform in a sense and, you know, be strong. And then somebody busted my bubble one day when I least expected it. And um, I just totally fell apart one day. And it was the strangest thing, but it was it had to happen. And. Um, It was just kind of an odd thing, but we have to grieve. We were designed to grieve. God gave us those feelings as servants. Um, Grief can be a servant or it can be a master. And um, it's only only a master if we don't resolve it. And so if there's someone out there who's grieving, who's listening to this, I just want you to know that it's natural to grieve, to go through that process. And as Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is not touched with our infirmities, but he was in every way tempted like us yet without sin. And so if you're grieving a loss, the Lord knows because he created life. He's working to defeat and destroy death and he knows your pain. And if no one else has told you, you need to hear from us that you're not alone because at a minimum, Jesus knows and he weeps with you in the times when it's difficult
2: you need to know that pushing on in this story um Jesus has moved and and I have to imagine as he is moving to the grave you know where the lady Lord come and see the reaction of the people when he tells them to roll the stone away mm-hmm. uh you know, it's he's he's in grief. Um which they, they asked the question could he not have opened the eyes of the blind? Could he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So these these people knew. Yeah. Um, but there's something very specific about Lazarus, and they came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid against it, and he wants the stone removed. And so these people, even his sisters, have seen a man that can stop death. They could have healed him, but he's fixing to show them something that it appears they have not seen. Right. He's not just died, he's not recently passed from life being resuscitated, he is buried. And, you know, when he says, take away the stone, let's see, ESV renders this, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. So there's no doubt he hadn't swooned. His body's gone cold. He's gone rigid. We've wrapped him up. We put him in the grave. This deal's done. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So, you know, and I don't know what Elisha was hoping to accomplish with the staff, but it did not keep that kid from going cold. Um, So there's there's some similarity there. Um, These other instances, by all appearances, were fairly close to when the person had passed away. But this one, there's no doubt. Decomposition is setting in. That's that's basically what they're saying. We're way past Rigor Mortis' Lord, and he's he's gonna stink. And he reminds, especially the sisters, because it appears that's who he told this about seeing the glory of God and his disciples. Um, but they they think he's just overstricken with grief. At least that's that would have been my initial response. He's this dude is just really put out by this death.
0: Yeah, and it's not an unreasonable read, but it's because, you know, people were really bad at guessing about what Jesus was going to do. Even his best friends, they they couldn't, you know, they couldn't see and predict what he was going to do. And so, verse 41, they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Heard me. Hey, he hasn't even prayed yet has it been that jesus has been praying this whole time silently or meditating communing with god speaking to god this whole time and you, and i know that you always hear me but because of the people who are standing by i say this that they may know that, that they may believe that you sent me and when he had said these things he cried with a loud voice lazarus come forth and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes And his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them, "Loose him and let him go. And I'm just telling you, my response was said, no, Lord, you woke him up. You go.
2: (laughs) Well, and don't you know, there was a climactic buildup to this. I don't know how deep the cave was, but it was deep enough for a body. And I don't know, you know, the lighting situation, but it appears that they didn't see him until he got out or at least to the door. So he says, Lazarus come forth. And unlike all the movies we watched today, there wasn't a sound to indicate magic was happening. So they're sitting here waiting and then you hear a shuffle, maybe a couple of shuffles and a grunt as he is trying to get to the door bound in his burial clothes and wraps.
1: I prefer to think of the sound effect being like that of a zombie Walking Dead, uh, right, Jared? I'm sure there was a groan. <laughs> now I'm, I'm sure, now yeah. I'm
2: quitting the podcast.
1: Okay, now you're gone. Okay, Jared, you're well. And, you're, and this is something
2: left. we've talked about. Um, well, we especially talked about with Samuel. In his response to King Saul, why are you disturbing me? And you know that's that's a, an important part of appreciating this grieving process is people being at peace and at rest that God is taking care of them and he has he has prepared and prepped something. So, what is the first sound someone makes? outside of having to refill your lungs with oxygen immediately um, and, and we won't get into all the medical implications of someone having been dead four days and and which I mean Jesus could if I guess build his lungs with oxygen as he's waking up but what what sounds were there going on that people are having to wait for this dude to come to the door because there's an, an implied circumstance going on here no one's sick, sticking around that door when it gets opened they're rolling that stone away and get back <laughs> um I've, you know i don't have any experience with decomposing human bodies but we all three of us know the smell of decomposing cows decomposing wildlife it's it's foul um and so they're they're rolling that stone and getting out of there
1: Definitely, and and Jared, as you were talking, um, talking about the the different sounds and everything, I'm going to make one more statement that's going to make Christopher quit the podcast. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is where Monty Python and the Holy Grail got the cave of ah, uh... or is it the cave of ah? <laughs> okay, sorry. Oh, I'll stop wow. with I'll stop with those jokes and get serious now. Oh, well,
0: but you know, the, the son of the widow of name spoke like he sat up and he, he spoke. I mean, like, I want to know what that guy said, you know, but yeah, he was probably like, (laughs) what? But he was thirsty. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is wild. I mean, for Lazarus to come back. I mean, he he wasn't dead for a few minutes or a few hours like that poor kid in second Kings four. I mean, he was three days on the other side and now he's jerked back into the land of living in i don't know what that's like
1: so i want you to think about this in comparison to the other as you're doing christopher as we compare it to the other narratives that we've looked at his disciples knew that he could raise people from the dead they had witnessed that but i would imagine That just as he said to the father, he prayed out loud so that they could hear him say this, to know that God had sent him. That even in their minds, they were like, Jesus can't even do this. Like we saw him raise, we saw him raise that kid after a little bit, but every person has their limits, right?
0: He's good, but he's not that good. Right. And
2: then it happens. Jesus is like, hold my wine. So, Jeffrey, you've pushed us into the next part of this, and you know I don't know that we're going to be able to get to all of the the ones we wanted to talk about because this next part really brings us to some thoughts that we wanted to make sure we got in on this. After Lazarus is resurrected, there's no doubt. There's no doubt from anyone there, and Absolutely. gossips have always been gossips, regardless of technology they had to spread gossip. This word spread, and it is a no doubt, no questions about it. Jesus pulled this man from the other side. And as we run on into chapter 12, go down to verse 9. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So this is drawing a crowd. Not, I mean, here's Jesus back again, but it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and his buddy that he has pulled back from the dead. This is epic. This is must-see pre-TV. We, we, we need to go check this out. This is a spectacle. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. We see it. We see it, especially with the the widow, or with the uh, the Midianite woman in Second Kings four. She's already believed he's a man of God. She told her husband, "This is surely a man of God. Let's build him a room." So she knew who he was. God allowed that to be confirmed through the miracle of raising her son. These people had an idea, but now they had no room for doubt. They were, as Roman says, without excuse. Um, It's one thing to have power over the elements. It's one thing to have power over the weather to be a great wizard, as some people wanted to make Jesus out to be, or a magician. It's another thing to raise people from the dead. And so Lazarus wasn't quiet about it. it. It appears Lazarus had quite the testimony. His sister's. And those that were there that day had quite the testimony about being back in this life and having a job to do because they had this life again. Because of them, many had left Judaism to believe on Jesus. And now they sought his life to take it away again. And
1: from all appearances, it didn't seem to bother him. That's exactly right, Jared. You know, we, as I have asked the question a few different times, as we've gone through this podcast, I wish we knew what the impact was. I wish we knew how long they lived and what they did with the extra time that they had. And we get a glimpse into this with with Lazarus. It changed many people in, in causing them to believe that Jesus was the Christ. But man, talk about changing perspective to where you are so willing to die for Christ because of the extra time that you've gotten it there's a shift that has to go on there and you see a major impact here
0: you know another point there jeffrey is you know for lazarus he was literally a living testimony to the power of jesus And that the same could be said for anybody who had been healed, like someone who'd been blind or a cripple or cured of something incurable, a leper. But here's a guy who was like dead. And the very fact that he is still able to fog a mirror is a spit in the face against the enemies of Jesus. And they want him dead. And it makes me think about how would it feel to be the reason that somebody else believed in Jesus. Like he was, he encouraged people to come to Jesus. And I think that we don't have to be raised from the dead by a miracle to be the reason that someone else has faith in the word of Christ. They can see our dead works be regenerated to be works of righteousness They can see our lives change. They can see our priorities align with God and the scripture. They can see our love, our honesty, any number of things that we can do to make our light shine, to be the reason someone else has faith in what Jesus can do. And so that's kind of a challenge for all of us, I think, is to say, hey, I want to be the reason someone believes in Jesus.
2: There's an interesting correlation between what we're talking about and the man healed of blindness in John nine. He, he couldn't be shut up. He was, I mean, it was known. He was a known blind man from his birth. Jesus come and healed him. The Jews don't like it. They see their power threatened. They see their status threatened. They see their way of life threatened and they have questions. So they ask his parents, his parents (laughs) response kills me. He's our son. He was born blind but how did it happen I'll tell you what he's old enough he'll answer for himself so we're we're out of this deal but he wasn't ashamed and and in fact his response is intense i've told you already and he would not listen why do you want to hear it again do you also want to become his disciples i love it Um, And I I have to imagine, especially having seen through the veil like Lazarus did, knowing, you know, and and that's something we we all wonder, and there's an unknown to death. There's, There's some known there, some hope that we have, but we don't know. Lazarus knew what was immediately beyond the veil to have that peeled back. And so it appears that he just, he couldn't be stopped. And this, and I've talked about it on our podcast before. This goes back to a a thought that Christopher planted in my head years ago with a sermon about Peter. When Peter realized that it was going to be all good, that he was going to die for the cause of Christ, he was unstoppable because you can't scare a dead man. Now he had stuff to live for and especially the work that Christ had for him. He had to live for, but he wasn't worried about dying. He was worried about living fully. The truth is that we all have to spend our
0: life. The question is, are we going to spend it wisely or not? And I think that, you know, if you say, Hey, you know, my life is a finite resource. I have to use it to the greatest effect. And it reminds me of, um, the old saying that, um, I'd rather, I'd rather wear out than rust out. Um, and I, it was heard as an epitaph. I can't remember where I heard this, but it was said of a particular minister of the gospel that said he burned himself out so that others may see the light. And that's Peter to a T You know, the other thing that strikes me about this this story and the story of the blind man that was healed, Jared, is that there were people who saw something they could not explain away. There was literally, I mean, Lazarus was, he was either dead or he was alive. I mean, there was no way that this is fake. This was absolute evidence that incontrovertibly proved that Jesus was at a minimum a powerful prophet. And there were people who accepted that joyfully and believed it. And there were people who knew that it was true and did everything they could, as Romans says, to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And same in John. This was a miracle. And his parents. I mean, think about it, Jared. Jeffrey, if one of your children was born blind and somebody came along and gifted your child with sight and changed their life, the reasonable human response is gratitude. Of saying, did you hear what happened to my son, my daughter? But even this kid's parents throw him under the bus. And it, it just makes me so disappointed about how hard, how hard hearted they appeared to be. And I know they were under pressure because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue either, which is what happened to this poor man.
2: Right. The intensity with which these people were attacking the followers of Jesus, they were not prepared for it. Right. But it just, you know, it's
0: two two responses to, to the work of Christ in our life is, Either people are going to embrace it and be thankful for it, or they're going to believe it, feel threatened by it, and resist it. And the truth is, is that if you're someone who's trying to serve Jesus and there are people in your life who aren't aligned with that, that even though they can see the good, they're going to fight against it because it threatens them. And that's not to be unexpected. And I think that's just a point that's worth making. Well, this has been a really good exploration of these phenomenal events that we see in the scripture of people being resurrected from the dead. And next week, we are going to edge a little closer to the finale. Next week, we're going to cover the Mount of Transfiguration and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're really excited about covering those two things, those two events that have a lot to do with one another. And so we hope that this has been helpful as we've tried to glean some gems in the scripture from these things that have happened beyond the cool factor. Um, But we're so thankful that you're listening today before we wrap up with Jared, having a prayer for us. We just want to thank you for listening. We hope it's been helpful and we hope that if this has been an impactful series to you, that you'll give it a share on social, or that you'll send someone a text with a link to a podcast episode that you've enjoyed, or that you'll just tell someone, about the content that you enjoy on the brother cousins podcast. So thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week and Jared, go ahead and close us out.
2: Our gracious, most loving heavenly father, we thank you for everything you've done for us. Father, we thank you for the love that you demonstrated in creating humanity for showing yourself to us. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us that we can study these examples and these histories of mankind and their dealings with you and your people that we might have hope, hope that even through our darkest and most difficult times and things, including death, which is an enemy to us, that you are powerful above those things and that your glory and your will and your love for us can be demonstrated through those. Father, we thank you for your son, that he is our hope of resurrection and life, that we have the ability through him to call you father and to be your children and to have everything that goes along with that and all of our inheritance through him and with him. Father, we pray that you would help us to use the tools that you've given us to be compassionate, loving, caring people, that we would let people see your love shining and living through us that we would carry the testimony of a life changed in Jesus Christ to the world and others might see your son in his people. Father, we pray that you forgive us when we sin against you and help us to look more like Jesus every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.